1: Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Mint Mobile. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com freak. That's mintmobile.com freak. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com freak. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on their first three-month plan only. Speeds are slower, above 40 gigabytes on an unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
3: It's the sensation you've been hearing about. That's right. Prize-linked savings is here. Open a savings account now for as little as $25, and you could walk
1: away with $100,000.
3: It's the no-lose lottery. That's right. Cash prizes are waiting for you. Save now and win bigger.
2: Call now and cash in. For a limited time, avoid are prohibited. In the last episode of this podcast, We started to tell you about a new idea, a new financial instrument that takes advantage of one of America's favorite pastimes, gambling.
0: So two out of three American adults report gambling, um, and it's 50% say they play lottery. The next closest is casino, which is, you know, about one in five adults.
2: Ah, the lottery. We love it. For a couple of bucks, you buy the chance to change your life. This asymmetry is called skewness, and it generates hope, irrational hope to be sure, and too much of it for that life-changing payout. We feed that hope by buying lots and lots of lottery tickets, about $60 billion worth a year, most of which is essentially poured down a big hole. And the people who pour the most are the ones who can least afford it, the people who don't make much money to start with and who generally don't manage to save any money. So... What if you could attach the thrill of skewness to the boring old prospect of saving money instead of pouring it down that hole? This is already happening in 20 countries around the world. It's called a prize-linked savings account, or PLS. Some people think the idea is ripe for transplanting to the U.S. Just one problem. It's illegal. Why? Well, because legally, a PLS plan is a lottery. And the only lotteries allowed in the U.S. are the lotteries run by the states themselves. But there's a chink in that monopolistic armor. In Michigan, a small group of credit unions has taken advantage of a loophole in state law to set up a PLS program they call Save to Win. Here's its first big winner, 87-year-old Billy June Smith. So you, pay, you put $75 of your own money into a credit union savings account. Right. And as a result, you were entered into a lottery for which you won $100,000. Right. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. What do you think?
4: Well, it is. (laughs) It it has helped me a lot.
2: Now tell me what you've done with the money, Billy.
4: Well, I've had to replace the furnace just a month ago, and I've put in um, water softener. And I have uh, put my money aside for the tax. And uh, I do have another savings that I don't touch for just so long. And I can add to it then. (laughs) ¶¶
1: From American Public Media and WNYC, this is Freakonomics Radio. Today, part two of the No-Lose Lottery, why state lotteries and the mighty U.S. Treasury Department don't want you to put your money into a savings account. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner.
2: Prize-linked savings or PLS accounts have a long history. In the U.K., the government-run premium bond program has been around for decades. Every month, it pays a top lottery prize of one million pounds. A few years ago, a bank in South Africa started a PLS program that was hugely successful, so much so that the National Lotteries Board of South Africa sued to have it shut down. It's hard for anyone but the government to run a lottery when the government thinks the only lottery should be run by the government itself. And that's the biggest obstacle to bringing PLS plans to the U.S. The biggest lottery in this country is run by New York State. Gordon Madenica, the state lottery director, says that 75% of New Yorkers play, which generates $7 billion in annual sales. But in order to get there, New York, like most states that have a lottery, had to rewrite its existing laws that prohibited any kind of gambling.
3: New York first began in 1967, and it was the second state after New Hampshire to come in.
2: What was the original impetus? Was it a budget shortfall essentially? Uh, Did the state feel we need money? Uh, We can – we can void this ban on gambling in the state and and come up with a way to do it.
3: I I think it was uh, both uh, a desire to raise money and also I think it was a recognition that um, playing was going on anyway, and uh, it was an attempt to tax and regulate an activity that they knew was very common among citizens. And uh, uh, you know whether you go back to the uh, you know the, the the numbers games that existed in urban areas and quite frankly still exist or. Uh, those kinds of activities, uh, and, and even sports betting today, which of course technically is illegal, but we all know is a huge business. Uh, and I think there was a recognition on the part of lawmakers that, uh, much like prohibition, better to tax and regulate than to, uh, you know, ostensibly call something illegal and pretend it doesn't go on.
2: State governments do more than tax and regulate their lotteries, they take a big cut for themselves. Now, in gambling circles, the commission, taken by whoever operates the game, is known as the rake. With state lotteries, the rake can be as high as 60%. That means that as little as 40% of the money taken in from ticket sales ends up in the pool that pays the winners. The rest of the money usually goes to education and to cover overhead, marketing, and sales commissions. Now, compare the lottery's rake to the slot machines in a casino. They pay out more than 90%.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, it's a it's a lot of money they take off.
2: Here's Melissa Carney, an economist at the University of Maryland who studies lottery gambling.
0: States ostensibly run the lottery, you know, to at least initially it was, well, wow, let's, you know, let's provide an alternative legal um lottery product or numbers product, right, to to the illegal groups. It'll be transparent, it won't be corrupt. But then they declare themselves monopolies and they Take a, take a big cut, which is we can think that's a really high price, right? Consumers are paying a very high price to buy this type of product. They can't get it from anywhere else um, legally. And, um, and then they, they have the – lottery commissions have the mandate to increase revenue. So they, they innovate. They advertise. They market. Um, yeah, they, they sort of behave like monopolists.
2: What do we know about people who play the lottery? What's, for instance, the socioeconomic breakdown?
0: Okay, so this surprises a lot of people, but um, people throughout the socioeconomic distribution play the state lotteries, Uh, and so it's you know roughly 50 to 60 percent of men, roughly 50 to 60 percent of women, roughly 50 to 60 percent of people across the education spectrum. So people with you know high school dropouts, high school degree, college graduates, Um, and it's and when you look at the absolute dollars reported spending, it's. It's not that different across the income distribution. So sort of lower-income households spend about as much in dollar terms as higher-income households. The flip side of that, of course, is that it winds up being a larger share of lower-income households' total spending.
2: So states have a monopoly on lotteries, and the people who can least afford to play buy just as many tickets as people who make a lot more money. That's why scholars like Carney and Peter Tofano at the Harvard Business School think that prize-linked savings plans could help – America's pathetic savings rate. So why hasn't the idea gained more traction here?
4: According to Tofano, the main culprit is history. I think the reason that this product exists elsewhere and not here is because of the, I don't want to say accidents of history, but the path that history has taken in America over a long period of time. I'm not a banking expert, nor am I a lawyer, but it's been explained to me that the prohibitions on banks engaging in lottery activities goes back to the 1930s when, for whatever reason, the activities that some banks pursued made regulators very nervous about them having anything to do with the lottery, which is why you can't walk into a bank and buy a lottery ticket. Um, And so that may have been a really smart legislation back then, and it may still be smart legislation now, but it seemed to have, in this instance, thrown out not only lotteries but also savings programs that have chance elements to it. So that's half of the equation. The other half of the equation is that uh, as a public finance matter, uh, American states and localities have relied on lotteries as a way to close public finance deficits. There are other ways to close those deficits, and unfortunately they're going to be quite large, I suppose, looking in the future. But when Public entities were given the right to use this vehicle to uh, raise funds. Uh, Other parties were prohibited from using this same vehicle, and therefore there are prohibitions against private parties running lotteries in virtually every state. So the combination of laws to try to protect, I suppose, the safety and soundness of banks and laws to permit states and local governments to have a kind of preferential access to this form of funding has led to the situation where I think this product, which no one ever meant to outlaw, has become outlawed. Outlawed. Coming up, we run the prize
2: Link savings idea past a couple of state lottery commissioners. They are not enthusiastic. And we bring it to the U.S. Treasury Department. Eh, They don't like it so much either. True Economics Radio is sponsored by True Green. True Green takes care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn so you can take care of everything else in your busy schedule. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration and more so you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you know you're in good hands because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. That's T R U G R E E N.com. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Redfin. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Economics Radio is sponsored by Cars.com. Have you heard about the Your Garage feature on Cars.com? It makes sense that a state-run lottery might see a prize-linked savings plan as a natural rival. But the New York state lottery, for a little while at least, actually considered teaming up with Harvard's Peter Tufano on a PLS plan. Here's Gordon Medenica again from the New York State Lottery. Environment, and we called it a no-lose lottery ticket. And basically what uh, the concept is is
3: that you buy a ticket, and, and it would be an expensive ticket, let's say $100, but you can never lose the, the, the base of it. And then we pool those funds, invest them, uh, just like a mutual fund or anything else like that, and then the investment gains become the prize pools. And then every month or so, Instead of earning almost 0% on a savings account, uh, there's a lottery and different account holders win prizes just like you would with a lottery game. So we went through a lot of this research and we presented to the FDIC. And this was an FDIC committee on uh, trying to encourage uh, a higher savings rate uh, among uh, uh, low-income people and also to uh, embrace what what they refer to as the unbanked and and to get low-income people to use banking uh, uh, facilities and financial services uh, better.
2: Medenica says he couldn't make the math work for the New York State Lottery. But for the Florida lottery, it's not about the math. It's about the law. I asked Leo DiBonino, the Florida lottery secretary, what he thought about a prize-linked savings plan. Uh,
5: From from a purely lottery perspective, I think the Florida lottery is the only entity in Florida that can operate a lottery game. So if what you described is legally a lottery game, then – I've got to say that it probably sounds illegal under current Florida law. States protect their
2: lotteries because the lotteries bring in lots of money for the states. Some money goes to education and other worthy seeming causes, but even Di admits that's not what motivates people
5: to play. I think people, Floridians in general, are players. They like the idea that their uh, that that the money they spend on the lottery that a portion of it, and in this case. A significant portion does go to fund education. But I'm the first to say that they don't play the lottery by and large to help fund education in Florida. People play the lottery to win. They like the prizes. They like the excitement. They like the fun, the possibility of winning you know, sometimes $10, 20 $50 dollars. And sometimes many multi-multi millions of dollars. Um, I think the funding to education is ancillary; it's an it's an extra bonus that the public uh, views the lottery as a as a different and unique and and fun way to be able to fund at least some of the things um, that our education system needs.
2: The lottery has famously been called a tax on the stupid. You get terrible odds, and the state rakes off a huge amount converting your hard-earned cash into an additional school's tax. Now, you can understand why a state lottery commissioner like Leo DiBanino of Florida likes things just the way they are. But what about the other government officials who work on things like consumer protection? What about someone like the assistant secretary for financial institutions at the U.S. Treasury Department? His name is Michael Barr. We talked to him a few weeks ago. He's since stepped down... I doubt it had anything to do with our interview. And I asked Barr if he ever played the lottery. I haven't really played the lottery. Uh,
6: I think probably if I went back uh, over over my 45 years, I may have uh, bought a scratch ticket or two in my 20s. Now,
2: why do you not play the lottery?
6: Uh, it's a fool's errand. As, as you undoubtedly know, uh, there are a handful of people who will make some money out of the lottery – uh, but most people most of the time will lose money. Uh, it's not a not a great
2: way of spending one's scarce resources. I don't know if you're aware of the pilot program that's been happening up in Michigan with the eight credit unions where a prize-linked savings uh, program is actually underway. The first uh, lottery-type payout of $100,000 was awarded this year. Do you, are you familiar at all with that It's called the Save to Win program? Um, I have not actually studied that. So the folks who are trying to make this happen come up against a very uh, simple reality, which is that it's typically illegal, that a private institution like a bank or or a credit union is not allowed to run a lottery according to state law, that state law – typically forbids gambling and in order to allow a state, let's say, to run a lottery itself, there's a loophole that must be written and those loopholes have been written. Most states do have their own lotteries, but for someone else to come in and do it, it would be illegal. If you uh, looked at the landscape and thought, um, in my role as, as in treasury here, I would like to encourage people to save more. I'd like to make it worthwhile for them to save more. And I'd like to remove barriers uh, that prevent them from participating in projects that, that let them save more. Would you be in favor of sponsoring or trying to, trying to get rolling some legislation that would allow for a widespread deployment of prize-linked savings? Do you think that's something that Treasury should get its, uh, get its momentum behind? One of the things that i've I've learned in my role at
6: Treasury is that uh, picking fights that uh, one doesn't have to pick is not a not the wisest course of action unless it's something that's absolutely essential to take on. And I wouldn't have put that in the category of of high priorities to uh, to wage into
2: a discussion of state gaming law. <laughs> but if your job is to help American families save more and be better financial stewards generally, and we know that tens of billions of dollars are being spent on lottery tickets every year, which you called a fool's game. And one alternative is to offer bank savings accounts whereby a customer can put in $100, enter a lottery, maybe win, probably not, but maybe, and keep the $100. Uh, Why isn't that something that's worth considering even uh, in a politically fractious environment when the potential benefit, getting people to save more, seems to be much larger than the potential downside of angering some state lottery commissioners, let's say. I think there are lots of different
6: ways of encouraging greater savings among all American families. And I I think we should continue to innovate and to try new approaches. I think that the question that you posed is, is potentially one aspect of one way to do that. I don't think we yet know enough from the research to say it's the kind of thing that we think needs to to happen on a wide scale uh, in order to be effective. And I think that we have a number of uh, potential strategies to help meet the needs of American families to save that we haven't really fully explored uh, and that that maybe raise uh, somewhat lower set of issues and barriers.
2: All right, so the Treasury Department doesn't like prizeling savings accounts. Lottery commissioners, they don't like the idea either. But up in Michigan, the one state where it's now legal, they like it fine. The Save to Win program has taken in $18 million in deposits this year. And two other states, Rhode Island and Maine, have just passed legislation to give PLS a try. Now, maybe you think this is a terrible idea. Maybe you think people ought to save money on their own. But you know what? We don't. People respond to incentives. And for a lot of us, the incentive to save for retirement, for emergencies, for whatever, is weak. Why? Well, because the payoff is abstract and it's too far in the future. It's the opposite of skewness. This dilemma doesn't just apply to saving money. Think of a school kid, third or fourth grader. You want me to do what? To bust my butt in school for 10 more years and then go to college just to get some job I probably won't even like? Or think about crime and punishment. If you look at the data, it turns out that the death penalty does not work as a crime deterrent. Why? Because as it's currently practiced, with the punishment waiting so far out in the future through a maze of delays and appeals, the incentive simply isn't strong enough to stop me from pulling the trigger right now. Sometimes you need stronger incentives, or maybe just some good smoke and mirrors. That's kind of what a prize link savings plan could offer. In a country where it's easy to borrow your way to bankruptcy, where you can buy lottery tickets anytime you buy a loaf of bread, PLS is like a big neon billboard that turns a boring old savings account into an exaggeration itself. Stick some money in here, it says, and you just might hit a big payday. And even if you don't, well, your money still belongs to you. I'll buy that for a dollar. Wouldn't you?
1: Freakonomics Radio is a co-production of WNYC, American Public Media, and Dubner Productions. This episode was produced by Beret Lamb, whose lucky lottery number is eight. David Herman is our engineer, and he never seems to get lucky. Our executive producer is Colin Campbell. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and you'll get the next episode in your sleep. You can find more audio at FreakonomicsRadio.com. And as always, if you want to read more about the hidden side of everything, go to the Freakonomics blog at nytimes.com.